Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mears. Hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. No script today, folks. We got a fan episode for you. It's episode 306 of the Anik and Florian podcast, also known as the Kenny Florian Show. <laughs> Kevin Ioli said, why don't you name it the Kenny Florian Show? You put your name ahead of Kenny's? <laughs> it's Monday, June 28th. The year is 2021. And today it is all about our listeners and viewers in a few short minutes, we will get to your tweets. As many as we can fit into this power hour today. Uh, but Ken Flo's back from New Jersey on that PFL grind. It's nice to see you, man. What's going on? Good to see you as well, man. Back, back again. Got a little break. And then hopefully I'm going to see your ass in Vegas. If Ilya Topuria and Ryan Hall can stay together, then Ken Flo and I will reunite <laughs> Yes. Next Wednesday, in about 10 days, I will come to the Residence Inn or wherever you are, and uh, we will Ooh. embrace, and it will be fantastic. So uh, speaking of embrace, had one final embrace with my daughter before unceremoniously sending her off to overnight camp. Some people may call it oh. sleepaway camp. She's fucking nine years old. All her friends are going to sleepaway camp. She wants to go to sleepaway camp, so I got to send her to sleepaway camp. And and certainly I'm I'm thankful that she is able to have this experience, you know, and that my wife and I have worked hard to put her in position to have this experience. Right. But man, there are a lot of emotions that go along with this. And certainly she's dealing with things that that I didn't deal with when I went to overnight camp, namely getting on an airplane and then taking a COVID test, you know? So there have been a, a few things that she's had to deal with experience-wise that I didn't have to deal with. But uh, it's hard, man. Like, I feel like my wife says, I feel like I'm walking around without, like, my right arm. And bedtime, it's kind of melancholy. Like, I'm thinking she's only three nights in and it's going to get better. But this has been a pretty emotional time in my life. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a big step, man. You know, like, I, I already have been kind of thinking about those things. You know, my daughter's still only three. But, um you know, that, that's a tough one. You're not around, you, you know, your wife's eyes aren't going to be around a watcher. You're not sure what's going on. How long, how long is it for? Is it a week, two weeks, it's, a month? It's, it's three and a half weeks. She has the option wow. to go seven weeks, but I'm not going to let her go seven weeks. You know? Wow. That will hurt my, my heart more than my bank account. It'll hurt both of those things, but no, yeah. <laughs> three and a half weeks. 
But the kicker is we can't talk to her for a week. So thank goodness for social media. And they have this app so you can sort of do face recognition and find her in these pictures. And it's like, I'm fucking zooming in. I'm like, she looks dehydrated. You know, I can tell right now. Like I can tell her lips lips fucking quivering with dehydration. So, but I was not a great camper when I went. Did you go to overnight camp or no? I did, dude. I did a bunch. I, I did. Um, Didn't you go to Manitou or something? No. I went to Camp Manitou, kid. That was a month. Uh, that was in Maine. I, I did. Uh, I did a like a, a bunch of soccer camps and tennis camps, and they were like all around a month or so. So yeah, I was. I was. Uh, definitely doing that ken flo did go on to uh play soccer at boston college if you don't know now you know but we used to play against manito that's why i remember that it was an outstanding baseball camp and i always used to be fearful stepping into that batter's box against these manito pitchers look like fucking 16 i'm 11 <laughs> but i went for fucking eight weeks bro dang dude so for it was it was a lot cheaper back then but it was a sports camp it was sports all day so i really enjoyed it and when i got yeah. over the homesickness it was fine uh but just seeing my youngest daughter sort of go through her bedtime routine without her older sister it's just it's just an adjustment for the family and uh I bet. you know that's about all i got on that for you today hey did you see uh did you see Seattle gone and alexander volkov in the ufc main event before we get to some of these uh these fine tweets I most certainly did. Um, yeah. So, all right, here's the thing. So I'm getting a text from my my buddy in Texas who's like, Cyril Yawn, right? Like the dude's putting him to sleep. That's one end of the spectrum. I rather enjoy his style. The other end of the spectrum is people who think we're looking at the next UFC heavyweight champion. A lot of people think Gon is ready to challenge for the title right now. He's had back-to-back UFC main event win- wins, you know, both 25-minute efforts, Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Alexander Volkov. If you want to call those guys second tier, right, those guys in that four to six range, fine. But he's passed these two tests with flying color. He hasn't put these guys away. Um, but what are your thoughts on the thus far perfect Seattle Gon in the UFC? I'm a fan. I think that he brings um, a new wrinkle to the heavyweight division. Um, extremely athletic, right? I mean, there's a lot of big, strong guys, but guys that can move, that know how to move their body, there's very few, in my opinion. Cyril Gunn is one of those guys. Um, may not have that same kind of power um, for a couple reasons. Either he's not overcommitting to his strikes. He has more of like a karate style where he's kind of like snapping his shots and getting out. But what he does have more than anybody else is defensively and and angle wise, he knows how to get in and get out without taking damage. And that to me is very different than everyone in that division. You know, can he do that long enough against someone like an Nganu to not take one of those big shots? It's possible. It's possible. I think he is unique in his approach. And I think that alone, that uniqueness makes him a threat to someone like a Francis Nganu. Um, so I was really impressed. Uh, he's very technical, very composed, very smooth. I like both of these guys, and I think you nailed it. He didn't have a scratch on him. If you saw his coach, yeah. Fernando Lopez, posting on Instagram after the fact, he was enjoying life on the Vegas Strip. And uh, I was like, was this before the fight? And then I right. saw a little mouse. I said, oh, no, he fought tonight. But, uh, you know, I thought maybe the leg kicks might have ended up being an issue. I, I really mm-hmm. do like Volkov, but uh, – for whatever reason, he just seems to come up just a step short for one 
tactical reason or another against these elite heavyweights, right. you know. And uh, this is a tough loss for Volkov at this stage of his career with with nearly 50 fights. But, yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do with Cito Gan. The 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 Nganu Gan fight, while hard to call because their names have that same syllable, Gan and Gano, I'm already yes. trying to figure out that navigation. But Fernand Lopez was Francis Ngannou's first MMA coach. He now corners right. Cito Gan. So that layer to that fight is insane wow. to me. So I do think we're sort of building towards that right now. It looks that way to me. And uh, so we congratulate Seattle gone. Uh, big win for Tanner, the bulldozer Bozer over Owen St. Prue in the co-main event. A couple things on the PFL side. So Anthony Pettis is now Owen two in the PFL. Anthony Pettis is calling Ray Seffo. He's like, can we get fucking Ken flow out of here? You sign Ken flow to the commentary team. I can't win a goddamn fight. I love the Clay Collard fight. Obviously, he came up short but had some big moments. <laughs> then he he loses this weekend. It's not the Ken Flo effect, although Lance Palmer's calling too. He's like, can we get yeah. Ken Flo out of here, Ever please? Ever since he came in here. Yeah. But off the air, you were talking about some things technically with Anthony Pettis. And yeah. um, I don't know if you think he's at the end of his career necessarily, but what did you make of Pettis in defeat? You know, I think, listen <sighs> – I was I was disappointed. I've been a, a longtime fan of Anthony Pettis. I, I think that his potential is such that, you know, he clearly could have been a UFC champion for a long, I think, a much longer time than what he had it. I also think that he's a guy that potentially could have won at 145 pounds. Remember when the, the fight was uh, canceled a couple of once or twice when he was supposed to fight Jose Aldo and you know, he has so much potential and um, he's still he's not old. You know, um, I think things can be turned around, but I've been waiting for that turnaround for a long time. And now that the blueprint is kind of out on Anthony Pettis, he's not really able to go out and, and reverse his fortunes in that regard. You know, like if you go out and you get in his face and you back him up repeatedly and you pressure him, um, Anthony seems to not have an answer to that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. It's tough. You know, some people have said, hey, listen, he's already been a UFC champion. He's already made millions of dollars. You know, perhaps he's satisfied with that. I, I don't know. You know, he, he just had a kid again. You know, so he those circumstances aren't easy. Um, but um, I, I think it comes down to him really switching up his style uh, in, in some regards, maybe not offensively, but defensively, he needs something more. He needs to give you something or, or make you pay for coming forward. And he just doesn't have that right now. So, um, you know, it was a close fight. Um, there, there's an argument, you know, for the fact that he could have won that fight. Yeah. But um, I had it a draw. Uh, I actually scored it a draw. So, yeah, it, it's unfortunate to see a guy that talented not be able to fulfill what I think is a lot of potential. Right. And it doesn't seem to be a lack of desire or willingness. I mean, I think he's willing to put in the time, but is he willing to tweak the style at this stage of his career? And, right. Uh, I thought this was his first kid. Maybe it's his second kid. But yeah, so he, way, his season is now over. Yeah. So he's done. Okay. He's done. Yeah. All right. Kayla Harrison, far from finished. She's yes. got a big fan in me. Like, I think I'd be starstruck. I is walking around Boca Raton, <laughs> Florida, see Kayla Harrison on the street. I would be. She walked into a fighter yeah. meeting with Anthony Rocco Martin when they were dating, and I was yeah. shook. So yeah. <laughs> better Sean O'Connell than me doing the post-fight interview. Uh, <laughs> so what what do we make of Kayla Harrison? I know we have a tweet coming up, I believe, that gets to her and Amanda Nunes. But, but what can you tell us about this obviously special athlete and her 
her mixed martial arts acumen to this point in time. Yeah, well, I know that when Sean O'Connell was interviewing, he's both starstruck and intimidated by Kayla Harrison. Yeah, um, yeah she, she can be scary. Um, yeah, listen, I, I think uh, she's an amazing fighter. Um, I, I think, you know, there is a lot of intrigue between what may happen if she fought a cyborg or a Nunes, you know. Um, obviously, she trains with Nunes. She, you know, they're, they're training partners. They're, 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 they're stable mates. Um, and... Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen them go at it. And, and I, I, from what I've heard, they have very interesting uh, sparring matches. Um, but, um, you know, I think she is, I know she's making a, a lot of money in the PFL. She's doing extremely well. I personally think she would beat Cyborg uh, against someone like a Nunez. I think that's a much tougher fight. I think Nunez is still the best 145 pounder in the world. But Kayla is improving. And, you know, she's still early in her career. Oh yeah. Um, so she still has room to grow. She's getting better. And what's crazy is I, you know, just from watching the, the fights in the past to what, where she's at now, she feels like to me, it seems like she's, she owns that cage now. You know, she, she really knows she belongs. She knows how good she is. She knows how dangerous it is. And she's making short work with these girls. I mean, it's not even, it's not even close. It's a good way to put it. I oftentimes find myself thinking that about John Jones, that he just owns fight night from the minute he right. leaves that tunnel and graces the octagon. It's his. And I do think Kayla Harrison with Dan Lambert and everybody else, American top team has been brought along progressively in the right way. Um, but she's fighting at 55 right now, correct? Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And obviously Nunez is getting ready for a Bantamweight title defense, 20 pounds south of there at 35. Now I have mm-hmm. said exhaustedly that Amanda Nunez is not long for Bantamweight. I don't expect her to compete down there for four or five more title defenses. So I do think that it's not out of the realm of possibility that these two ladies yeah. engage at featherweight. You know, Kayla doesn't care about, uh, fighting a teammate right I mean, probably not <laughs> well it's exciting you know it's exciting nonetheless yeah. are you guys are you traveling again this weekend or no no uh we got a little break for a while now uh the playoffs have been determined so that's not until well what is it uh october i guess all right so the next order of business is trying to not october corner Wait. team hall yes to a win as about a plus 180 underdog against Ilya Topuria, huh? It's a I tough love fight. It. It's a tough it fight. Is a you tough love fight. being the fucking underdog, don't you? I do. I do. I think it's great. You know, listen, I think uh, Topuria is a great matchup, man. He's he, he's legit. He really is legit. He's 11 and 0 for a reason. Um, he's been one of the hottest prospects in the world for a long time. 145 pound division is just ridiculous in the UFC. Um, so I, I think this is a, a big time challenge. And, um, you know, Ryan's been been training very hard getting ready, so I'm excited. Team Hall ain't going to give you nothing, okay? Nah. Just know that. Technically, <laughs> tactically, I can't wait till we uh, we do predictions on that fight next week. And uh, yes. <laughs> I guess Kenpo would have to abstain or just back his guy, Ryan Hall. You know the Ducks going uh, Toporia just to fight. <laughs> um, yes. All right, let us get to some tweets. We're doing a Q&A today. Try to get to as many as we can. But thank you all for uh, for all your contributions on social media, Cody. Let's get to uh, our first tweet. All right, how hard is it? This one from Eric Schaefer, I believe. Hopefully it's not Schaefer. How hard is it to conceal bias as a commentator when someone is fighting who you either really want to win or lose? Ken Flo, I guess I'll start having had this experience several times over. Right. I never called a Kenny Florian fight. That would have probably been uh, (laughs) been just too high anxiety for me. 
I don't think it's hard once the fight begins. The walk is a little bit challenging. There are definitely added emotions when your broadcast partner or dear friend is making the walk. You know, Dominic Cruz is a guy I oftentimes talk about because of the nature of our relationship and just knowing how badly he had to beat Casey Kenny. You know, that was sort of a hard walk, you know, but once the fight starts, Kenny, I think if anything, um, I'm maybe giving the opponent more shine than I should at times. Like once the fight starts, you know, it's two guys fight. That's it. Dude, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, early in my career, you know, um, I, I had trained with Mike Brown and he was a buddy of mine. He he came up in the Massachusetts MMA scene and, um, you know, love the guy. Uh, got a chance to see him this weekend. But anyways, um, he was fighting Uriah Faber in the WEC and I was calling uh, his fight. And people were saying that I was biased, but for Uriah Faber, because yeah, I was right. trying to play it so even that I, you know, so it throw it can throw you off. There's no doubt about it. But, um, you know, on the desk, I think it's a lot easier to just say, hey, this is my buddy. This is my right, dude. Right. Or, this is a guy I've trained with. So I'm, you know, coming from perspective, but calling a fight is a whole different animal. And it's something that can be challenging. I think once the fight gets into the flow now that I think yeah. myself, we're, you and I are a little more experienced. It's easier to call it, but it can be challenging. And I will say, too, I got a lot of criticism for the second Stipe DC fight. And I stand by that call. I mean, DC was boxing Stipe up until he wasn't, right? And then Mm -hmm. if you notice the end of that fight, you know, Stipe exacts his revenge. You know, we fucking punctuated the hell out of that for Stipe. And I actually go back further with Stipe than even Daniel in terms of a personal relationship. So oftentimes you have relationships on both sides, um, but there is never any bias. And I do believe, generally speaking, it's actually easier than you think it is uh, once the fight actually begins. You know, certainly Mm -hmm. the buildup can be a little bit uh, a little bit challenging. All right, Cody, what do you have for uh, for our next offering here from uh, from the greatest listenership in podcast history. This one from Chad, 804-53707. What was the craziest comeback fight you got to commentate? I mean, I think the last time Kenny and I called fights together on the UFC side was actually Tony Ferguson with a little rally against Groovy Lando Banana, yes. which is pretty insane. But the one that comes to mind because of the meme that was repurposed thereafter for me was Benil Daryush coming back against Dracar Close. Because you feel like you're calling a Jakar close knockout, and then all of a sudden, Benil Daryush knocks him out, and mm-hmm, the tie just mm-hmm. flips on a dime. So that's the one that comes to mind for me, Ken Flo. I don't have a great memory. You got anything for us? You remember any crazy comebacks? <sighs> where- Ones that I've commentated, jeez, um, nothing really that comes to mind. The answer is uh, no, folks. Okay. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, well listen, I, as far as ones that have stood out for me watching, you know, obviously there's the. Uh, the Darren Elkins Mirsad Bektik fight that was just epic. There was yeah. uh Czech Congo coming back from the dead against Pat Barry. Yeah. You know, those are kind of two that I I remember, but uh yeah. Thank you for injecting that Elkins Mirsad Bektic fight into the conversation. Yeah. See, my memory is not the go-to memory on this. <laughs> All right, Cody, what is our uh, our next tweet here? All right, at Good for the Sport, during last night's show, Tanner Bozer appeared to grab the fence. I see he actually didn't, but why didn't DC ask him about it? Does the UFC tell you what not to ask or ask in the Octagon Live? So Ken Flo and I have both been in there, so I guess I'll lead the dance here, as they like to say. No, they don't tell us what to say inside that Octagon. Um, I don't know if maybe by the time Daniel got in there in this instance, he sort of felt like it was a non-issue, because as Kenny and I can both attest, I mean, it looked like he he posted his knuckles and 
didn't grab the fence. So maybe by that point in time, DC didn't want to sort sort of further drag things down. Um, you know, there might be times when I'm in there where, where they'll be like, you got to go like this interpreter has taken way too long and we need you to go. I know you probably have one more question, but you need to go. Um, and there have been times where maybe they'll give you something to ask and you either take that and use it or you choose not to take that. Uh, and there have candidly been times where I've had to pop out the earpiece because maybe there are two voices talking at one time or I don't want to hear what's going yeah. on. And, uh, we generally speaking have control of that setting and are not told, uh, what what to do in terms of any imperative from the producers is that fair to say yeah yeah absolutely right. absolutely all right cody what else you got what else you got all right who underscore mma considering kennedy and zechiku's continued improvement and the fact that the larger weight class fighters tend to peak later in their careers what would you like to see out of him skill wise over the next few years so ken Flo, i know you didn't see his win over danilo marquez but Again, he's having to rally and lean on his heart, right? Danilo Marquez was off on Kennedy's back for most of this fight until he was losing, right? I mean, had the body locked down for most of the first round, and Nzechiku was fighting hands as best he could. I just think you're looking at still a very green developing fighter, and he's in the right weight class that allows you to to produce a winning streak while still developing. But, you know, I think he needs to be tighter defensively. I think he needs to be more urgent uh, defensively when a guy like Danilo Marquez is on your back, because obviously that's one scenario they were trying to avoid, but he seems to be very coachable. And in these yeah. quiet arenas, listening to the general safe Saud with all of his commands, you know, he's realized success, but I, I still think he's very green and uh, not quite ready for the top 15. Got anything for us on Nzechiku? I know you like the frame and, and the body. Yeah, listen, I, I think that for him, you know, so it, it's probably a combination of both, obviously improving his technical skills, but also something that's not allowing him to get off to a good start, right? I think, you know, and, and that can happen. It, it's kind of knowing when to turn on once that fight starts. And it can take guys a, a long time. I mean, again, you look at the Cowboy Cerrone's and other guys who, you know, uh, OSP, who, you know, takes a little while for them to get going. And right. that uh, is something that should be rectified much earlier in your career than later. Yeah, definitely has the cardiovascular base that has allowed him to to rally in two straight fights. And uh, just a good man. You know, he's made $175,000 essentially for his family this year. Not too shabby. So. And if you know his mom is sick, it's an incredible story. Uh, congrats to a good man, Kennedy in Zechiku. Got to get with our bosses, though. I don't know what was going on with the pronunciations this weekend. I mean, it's like I know, Zach, right? I mean, come on. Times, Cody. What are we doing? We're going ridiculous. Zuchuk. All of a sudden, we're going Zechukwu now. Give your boy a call, guy, uh, <laughs> Zach Candido, Michael Lappy Laplante. We're going Zechukwu all of a sudden. Um, I remember sitting down with Kennedy at one of these fights and we have his file and uh, I sat down with him and I was like, Kennedy and Zechiku. And he's like, oh, that sounds good. And I'm like, well, it sounds good. Is it right? Is it right? I know it sounds good. Uh, all right, Cody, what else do you have for us on the uh, Twitter front? All right, this one from Suggs420. What's the scariest knockout you've ever seen live? Oh, this is easy. I mean, I guess it's not if you start to think of all of them, but when Francis Ngannou knocked out Alistair Overeem, I mean, it was just me and Rogan That's in the big. broadcast booth back in the days of two-man booths. And just look at Rogan's reaction. He yeah. thought Overeem might have been the first fatality in UFC history. I mean, it was nasty. It looked, it was such a violent punch that it looked like Overeem broke his neck. Like it was one of, it was just like, whoa, is he going to survive? And um, 
it was almost that bad, like where you really were questioning whether he was going to survive that shot. It was just devastating. Another one that comes to mind for me was um, this is an oldie, but it's a goodie. What do you got? Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga's knockout over Crow Cop, and it was nasty for a couple reasons. He literally collapsed within himself, and like it, like he like imploded. It was like a, the falling building, uh-huh. and he fell on his ankle. So it was the, it was right. so nasty, and the ankle was twisted the other way. And I was just ah, oh. I mean, it was hard to watch. That was yeah. scary. There have been a lot of scary ones recently. You know, I yeah. feared for Rafael Sunsau when Cody Garbrandt connected not all that long ago. And even Jarzinho Rosenstrike, I hate to pile on the ream, who is oh, one yeah. of my favorite guys. But, dude, when Jarzinho Rosenstrike flipped his lip wide open, um, that was pretty scary as well. And and yeah. even, you know, Jorge Masvidal against Ben Askren, you know, for a moment. That there, was a, absolutely worthy of that, yeah. Stiff as a board. All right, Cody, what else yeah. you got? All right, at Johnny Drew Muff. Mr. John, I hope you're doing well. What is your favorite part about your job? The traveling, the camaraderie, the fighters would love to know. Keep doing your thing. I wish you and your family well. I mean, Ken Flo and Brian Stan just fucking left me. So it used to be the camaraderie. <laughs> now I eat dinner by myself. There's a lot of things about it. I mean, certainly we become exceedingly close with the crew and our coworkers because we spend a hundred nights a year with these people. Um, but I do miss having guys like Ken Flo and Brian Stan on the road. Um, yeah, I guess my, my favorite part of the job is, is probably that is the relationships that you develop with your colleagues, you know, um, my audio guys, right. Some of my best friends in the world, you know, our stage manager, Niner, easy fucking target, but really good dude. Right. So yeah, I think that's probably the best part. And then obviously, uh, sitting down at the beginning of a UFC main event, as you can attest, Kenny, there's just nothing quite like it, right. As a, as a UFC fan. Right. I'm going to be buying these pay-per-views for the rest of my life if I'm not calling them. So uh, when those main events begin and I am anxious and trying to pass that along to the audience, those are those are real emotions. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. You know, like I still talk to a lot of those UFC people. They always, you know, say hello. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a nice family atmosphere. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, there's nothing like calling live fights. And when they matter, when they truly matter, when there's a world championship on the line, it's the best. And by the way, folks, this Ken Flo reunion tour with the PFL, right? Seeing Mike <laughs> Brown and Danny Rube, right? All these yeah, guys dude. rolling out the red coat. No, it must yeah. be nice for you, though, after maybe a couple of years of not being on the road to yeah. see all of these MMA types, right? That it's you awesome, haven't man. seen these guys in a long time. I, I haven't seen them in a long time. And to see, uh, you know, Rubes, who, you know, when, what, when we knew him, what, he had maybe like one guy. Yeah. Now he's got like over 40 fighters. He's killing it. He's doing that full time. He's it's awesome to see, man. It's it's awesome to see good people, you know, become successful in the sport and, and to have their stable. Uh, and uh, I'm sure he sent you a picture of us hanging out the other day. He did. And I, he did. And, and I, if you notice, I had my Anakin Florian podcast shirt on. Goddamn right. I was sleeping when I got the picture, so uh, I didn't text him back until the next day. But if you don't know Danny Rube, longtime mixed martial arts manager, and uh, yeah, no longer working for Accenture because he's got a great client base. But that's cool I, for you and Mike Brown to be able to run into each other on the road. Wish I could have been there for that conversation. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys were talking Good about dude. me during that chat. All right, Cody, what do you yeah. have? <laughs> Oh, all right. Dolan MMA. If Ken Flo was to have one final walk, who would be his ideal matchup? And if you heard my reaction, it's because if you are watching, we just got to see a picture of Ken Flo walking out. Hey, 
Kenny, we got a couple questions today about your fighting future. We'll get to his, <laughs> his professional boxing debut later, I'm sure. But if there were to be a final fight, who would it be against? If you like seeing old people fight, <laughs> well, man, do I got it. The one huh. for you. Um, you know, I think obviously the ones that come to mind, you know, are the losses that I feel um, I wasn't at my best. So, you know, the Diego Sanchez fight, of course, I feel like I beat myself and then Diego finished me off. <laughs> uh -huh. I, uh, um, you know, the fight against BJ Penn would be an interesting rematch. So, you know, th those are kind of the ones that I guess, uh, come to mind. Am I, am I going to come back? No, I'm 45. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I had my time. Uh, yeah. I, so yeah. He's sick of me beating that drum and, <laughs> and spreading false information. If you really know, fake news. if you really want to know who he wants to fight right now, though, it's probably his little boy. Who's like five weeks old. And just <laughs> won't fucking sleep. You know, so you really want to fight. I, I did not sleep last night, by the way. This See? is very uh, Yeah, I'm and my son, when he's awake at home, is just a terror. At school, he's outstanding. At at home, he he just does what he's not supposed to do all the time. Right. You know? Uh all right, Cody. What else you got? What well, else you got from the listeners? I was just gonna what? say, you realize the PFL offices today are just in ruin after that comment. Like he's not fighting, he's retired. <laughs> right. I know, I know. Rethinking. <laughs> We Tempo think they thought they stop. had me. Yeah. Went full stop, looked into the camera, was like, I'm 45, Annex. Stop. <laughs> All right, Cody, what else do you have for Oh, now? man. All right. From Jared Kenny, is Kayla Harrison the only real threat to Amanda Nunes at, at 145 pounds? I mean, Ken Flo, with respect to, to Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer, and there are another featherweight or two signed by the UFC right now. Uh, Cubbage pretty bare at 145 pounds. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I think she quite candidly is the only threat to Amanda Nunes. You know, her her grappling um is is clearly world class. Listen, there's there's no American male or female that has ever won a gold medal in judo. You know, it, it's you know, it, it's it's like a foreign player coming to the United States and and becoming an MVP in the NBA. You know, it, it's it's extremely rare. The Europeans and the Asians have always dominated judo. And for Kayla to do it not once but twice is a testament to what kind of athlete she is. Um, and, yeah, I think just that alone. And she's, she has been improving her striking. I think clearly Nunes still has a, a an advantage there on the feet. And Nunes is not an easy girl to take down either. So I think that is a multi-million dollar fight that could potentially happen in the future. Wow. And you're bringing out my patriotism a little bit when you talk about Kayla Harrison, because I saw a question on Twitter over the weekend and it said, oh, which nation has been the most successful in mixed martial arts? Hmm. It's the United States of America. Absolutely. Look it up, folks. Right. Look it up. Right. I know it's easy to bang on the Americans at times. Right. But stars and stripes, baby, let's fucking go. I mean, heaven forbid that the Americans are allowed to show some patriotism every now and again. Right. Right. Yep. I say that with all love. Yep. All right, Cody, what else you got? All right, this one from Big J2101, hashtag run up and get done up, is Nunez versus Harrison. If it were to go down tomorrow, what would the betting line be? Oof. This question must be for you, Ken Flo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so oh, that is a loaded question. So it, yes. it's at 145 pounds. 
We don't know if Kayla Harrison would have, she has competed at 45 or 46 before. Is that accurate or no? Yes. Okay. Yes. She has competed at 45. You know, I would venture to say that Amanda Nunes might be minus 180 or minus 200, but uh, I think people be maybe hitting that Kayla Harrison in that plus 160 range. I don't know. What do you think? Ken? No, I think that's accurate. I was going to say, I, I would say that Nunes would most likely be favored um, at minus 200. Um how would I, how would I uh, put the odds? I think a little bit closer than that, you know, but yeah, I think that's what they would probably open up at maybe even more just based on Nunes' dominance and the fact that Kayla is still relatively new, uh, you know, in her mixed martial arts career. Canflow getting a PFL tattoo. Cody writes in the chat room here, minus 450. I'd imagine that's just Cody, your guess and not any number that you've got. <laughs> Yeah, just a guess. I think it starts at minus four fifty. You got to get both sides, you know. I go to best fight odds, or you go somewhere we could find an odd on uh, that potential matchup. I don't, and and that would mean that there would be a sports book out there that would take that action. I'm looking right now, and I don't see it. Um, Amanda Nunes minus seven fifty against Juliana Pena. If you care, don't call her Pena. All right, Cody. Let's get back to uh, to this here Q and A. What do you have ne- have next for us? All right, when will we see the first UFC fighter to be paid in Bitcoin at Philly Champs? A lot of Bitcoin cryptocurrency questions coming in, Ken Flo. Um, looks like maybe Jorge Masvidal has started that trend a little bit. in terms. Yeah, of that's awesome. Yeah. By the way, Cody, I love the picture of Michael Saylor there in the pick. Well done, kid. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I think that, um, you know, our organization is going to start to do that. Maybe who knows? Um, like like John said, uh, Masvidal has already been doing that with his bare knuckle uh, event that he's got going on. I think that's awesome uh, for the for the for the fighters to get, kind of at least even have the option of getting a portion of it because that ultimately can kind of become your your savings or or a part of maybe your your retirement plan. So I mean, you guys know I, I'm I'm a, I can start talking about Bitcoin all day. So I mean that's. That's a, a long-term hold that you got to have for the future. And uh, for a lot of these fighters, they're only thinking near term. Right. Save some money. Do it in Bitcoin. Should I buy Bitcoin on the air right now? It's at 34,676. I'm going to hold off right now. Yeah. I'm going to hold off right now. <laughs> just got to, they, they keep banging on my overnight camp payments late. <laughs> can't buy Bitcoin. Oh, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, Cody, what, what do you have for us? This one from Farzin21. Is there a fighter that you enjoyed covering, interviewing that sticks out from the rest? Huh, I probably shouldn't have picked this tweet, right? I remember getting to know Platinum Mike Perry a little bit early on, and I was like, man, this guy's fun. But it <laughs> runs the gamut. You know, obviously, Bilal Muhammad resonated with me, and, and that's part of the impetus for, for the show he does with my twin brother here on this channel. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, Kenny's my favorite fighter, but that's in Octagon <laughs> stuff. You know, I didn't necessarily, you know, he wasn't necessarily like my my favorite microphone guy beforehand. <laughs> After the fight stuff, my whole I finished fight stuff. Gosh, Kenny, I wouldn't honestly, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, I mean, you did Conor McGregor's first in Octagon interview, and Right. I don't know. I mean, who who comes to mind for you? For sure, Conor McGregor. Uh, Ronda was always fun to talk to. You know, she definitely had a a mastery of the mic, you could say. Um, I, well, yeah. Well, let me ask you this: as far as interviewing, who do you think is, is are some of the guys that have been most interesting for you? I love talking to Darren Till. I think Adesanya is super thoughtful. Yeah, 
Um, you know, but then there are guys like Jeff Neal and Robert Whitaker that I'm, I'm waiting on every word because you just don't know when that nugget is going to come. So I really have enjoyed the evolution of our fighter meetings, you know, from phone calls to actual sit downs. I know we sort of came back a peg with COVID, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there are just so many great, great personalities. And even with, like we mentioned Kennedy and Zetchiku, right. A guy who doesn't give you a whole lot, but you know what he's fighting for. And then he goes out and does what he does. So I don't know. It's a special job, a lot of special athletes. And, uh, if that wasn't the answer that you're looking for, um, We'll do another Q&A in a month. Cody, what do you have? Yeah, crazy. Uh, great fight, fighter meeting experiences in this last year, huh, John? <laughs> yeah, mostly great. Mostly yeah, great. And, and Mike Perry, a little bit too much fun, but that's okay. Yeah, well, Perry him. sometimes comes in, gives you nothing, right? Uh, and then other times he's very forthcoming with details that you just hope are true when you bring them to broadcast. All right, Cody, who's next? Cameron Ballier, hope we're pronouncing that right. If you were not a UFC commentator, what would you be doing? For a career otherwise. Ken Flo, I'll start. I want to hear what you'd be doing. Ken Flo be saving the world probably. So <laughs> I would be working with special needs children. That's what I was doing before I got into sports media. I was a vocational coordinator, so I was a job coach. I had to help procure the job and then coach these autistic teenagers at the job location. And uh you know, nothing worse than when uh when a kid gets fired or something, you know. It, it was, uh, but I just felt like I was making a difference. You know, I taught autistic kids from preschool all the way to high school. And, um, you know, I know we make a difference in some way, shape or form as a release or an outlet for people, but I just feel like in a broad sense, I was making more of a difference doing that. So, um, if the price was right, I would get back to it. But part of the reason I got out of it is because I didn't have a master's in special education. I didn't see a real high mm. financial ceiling, but I'd be working with kids, special needs kids for sure. That's cool. How about you, kid? What would you uh, be you doing? Know, you know, within the sport, I'd, I'd be I'd be teaching jujitsu or something somewhere. Um, but uh, let's say if I I didn't have this whole MMA thing, probably in the military, maybe doing something. Yeah. God, jujitsu is so hard, man. Like I feel like <laughs> yeah. such a pussy. You know, like I'm trying to lean into this whole I'll rent due every day, right? So instead of yeah. working out three or four days a week, right. And I still have, instead of cheap meals, I still have cheat days, like three mm. cheat days, like Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for the least eat whatever I goddamn well please. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But rent is due every day, trying to work out six and a half, seven days a week instead of three or four. But jujitsu is just so hard and so daunting. Like I'm starting to get the itch again. I hope Pahumpa is not listening. <laughs> because it's so hard, I'm starting to get the itch again, but I feel yeah. like I'm going to be wildly discouraged after three or four classes. I'm going to quit again. You know? <laughs> it's tough, man. It is tough. See how uh, he did. See, that's it, all it he's got. It's like, you probably is. shouldn't do it. It still is. No, no, it's awesome. It's the best thing ever, dude. It's but Pahuma says it's going to change my life. <clears throat> like it it's going to effectively change my life. And I don't I dispute that because yeah. I, if, if I'm tough enough to actually get a stripe on my white belt. Maybe it'll change my life. But as yet, I haven't been tough enough, I guess. You, know? you can do so, that. You can do that. There's no question. I don't know. I think literally I'm going to tear the labrum in my hip <laughs> class two. And then I'm going to be like, see, man, you know, I'd be like 185 pounds on television. All right. Uh, we got about eight tweets or so left here in the power hour. Cody, what do you have? Well, so going back on that last one, John, that's Dude. the thing is Pahumpa's texting you the morning after you just golf and you can barely get out of bed after hitting 18 holes or after John, after Jay's <laughs> giving it to you on the court, you know? 
Hey, hey, easy. I'll fucking own that dude on the court. All right, what's your next tweet? What do you got? All right, Occidenton. John, you often step outside the moment and drop phrases like one more sleep or in 25 minutes we'll have a new champion. Do you have a list of these planned in advance? I don't plan anything I say on the air. There are certain things that we script, like a locker room bump to break because you're trying to maximize those 30 seconds, so you want to make sure there are details there, and then the pay-per-view open. But, I mean, Ken Flo is probably sick of me saying this, but, you know, we try to be as organic with every fight-ending call as possible. I want those moments to have their own historical context, and certainly there are things in terms of my phraseology that I'll go back to and say, Oh, you know, turns the mixed martial arts world on its axis tonight. And I'm like, do you already use that one motherfucker? Why'd you say it again? But you know, I try to, to be unique about it, but even like for a walkout, Kenny, right? Like you don't plan what you're going to say. Right. I mean, like, so I'll start the walk and then I'll toss it to you. But for the most part, I don't know when, when Adesanya makes that walk, what the first thing out of my mouth is going to be. Right. No, you, I mean, I mean, do you have it planned? What you're going to say I, when the baton comes your way? I don't. I find that if even even if I'm thinking about it in my head, like this is what I'm going to say, and I'm going to organize it like this, I feel like I usually trip up on my words. That's when I usually fuck up. Uh, whereas opposed to just kind of letting it come off the dome, uh, usually it's going to sound a lot better and be a lot better. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there are some times where I'll think of a buzzword and it may or may not find its way into the call. I mean, certainly when Stipe was fighting Daniel the second time, we're talking a lot about revenge and that word ended up being in in the call. And I remember thinking about Demetrius Johnson, the word immortality kept coming to mind. But if I start trying to think about those things and try to deliver them, um, could get up. Yeah. Yeah. And there are plenty of examples of me screwing stuff up. (laughs) just gotta look uh all right cody it could all be over just like that next up yeah one utterance over eight hours it all goes away uh kid magic underscore hi liam i'd love to know if you drink modelo at home john and whether you announced to your wife before opening that it's the official beer of the ufc (laughs) i also let her know it is brewed for those with a fighting spirit to which she replies (laughs) then put it down because you don't have a fighting spirit you should be drinking (laughs) she's like give that to me you can have a truly oh that's hilarious it is so funny how many tweets i get about p3 and modelo chrissy hasn't listened to like clark's got to be the more supportive wife when it comes to the podcast not that she's ingesting every episode i don't think chrissy has listened to more than 60 seconds of the show yeah, yeah. I mean, Clark's huh. probably around the same. <laughs> they're they're huge some, fans of pronunciation of the week. With from what I hear, she's, she has other things going on. There yeah. are some wives who are who are all about this stuff. Our wives right. just aren't necessarily. They are nah. sick of this at this point in time. Yep. At least my wife. She's like, we did MMA live. I watched that show <laughs> on ESPN two with you and Kenny, but I'm not watching these fights. Yeah, um, she'll watch the TV stuff. But did I answer the fucking question? I mean, did I answer the question? Yes, John. I think you did. All right, all right. Let's get to a couple more here. Well, Wheels speaking of MMA Live. Oh, there she is. Hey. Have you asked Molly Karam to come on the show yet? This one from <laughs> Joe Daddy eighty five hashtag MMA Live. If you don't know, Molly Karam now first take host was one of our co hosts on MMA Live back in the day when we were trying to get that little engine to uh, to television. She likes Ken Flo better. So if Molly Karam's coming would on she this take show. Her call? Would she take her call today? She's a big deal. Not would mine. That's why I said it's got to. 
You have to be the conduit. I don't know if she. No, she does not follow me on Instagram. Yeah. She don't follow me on Instagram. She probably has like five different phones by now. You know, she's changed her phone. uh, Maybe you can slide up into her DMs. But if you want Molly Karam on the Anakin Florian podcast, Ken Flo's got to be the guy that gets it. All right. Who do we have? who do we have next, Cody? All right, this one from Pat Bolanto. Have you ever injured yourself or someone else in the process of reacting to a knock? So I have nearly lost consciousness, right? Not using my diaphragm properly. Um, it was an Edson Barboza knockout against, I think, maybe Benil Daryush, maybe in Fortaleza. Oh, wow. Super hot, right? Yeah. And this has happened in a few instances where I... I feel a little bit shortness of breath and like um, lightheaded, right? Because I'm not breathing properly. And uh, right. I think it's a combination of dehydration in a hot climate. So uh, I know the question was probably meant in jest, but that's the closest I've come to injury. You should ask Buffer because he's ready for anything in there. I remember I, your first event in Fortaleza was with me, I remember. Yes. Right? Was that back of course. And it yeah. was hot as hell. Uh, we were soaking yeah. through our shirts and suits and – no AC, obviously, in the arena. It was right, crazy. Right, Anyways, yeah. right on right. the equator. I think Kenny said to me, dude, we're like right on the equator. And I got this <laughs> pang of anxiety because like <laughs> I never knew what the equator was in like science in, <laughs> in middle school. And then That's I looked it up. Dirty. You're right. It is very much very close to uh to the equator, which I think separates the uh the hemispheres, if I'm not mistaken. It, it, yeah, it's like the very center of the earth it, it, where it's hottest, right? Is it, yeah. Yeah, yep. This is the analysis that you get on uh, on the Anakin Florian <laughs> podcast, episode 306. All right, Cody, let's do three more tweets. Well, this man lives across the prime meridian, if you can figure out what that is, John. Uh, the real Gonzi. How many sleeps until Christmas? I meant to fucking look this up. I have no idea. A lot of sleeps. I mean, it's only like 14 sleeps or 12 until Connor and Dustin. How many sleeps till Christmas, Ken Flo? Jeez. A lot of sleep. Yeah. And for Ken, yeah, what, well, we like don't 120, know. 120 sleeps. I don't know. That's what yeah. I'm going with. Four weeks until then. <laughs> what What's was it? Oh, say? Five months and four weeks until then. Right. So you figure Ken Flo sleep like half of those nights because his son's a little dickhead right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It depends on who's sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm like yeah. sleeping. Yeah. A little less than everybody. So Cody, it's a hundred. It's 179 sleeps actually, according to the internet. I'll ask you guys though, what fight matchup would you want under your Christmas tree? I want Kamzat Chimaev and Colby Covington. That answer has gone unchanged. Oh dang! I want to see Chimaev against one of these elites, right? Um, you know, there seem to be some rumblings about some fights here and there. Does he have a fight right now? I don't think he does. I just want to see him against somebody elite at seventy or eighty-five. I have said repeatedly on these airwaves that I don't see him as a long-term welterweight. I just don't see him being able to sustain and make that weight consistently. Um, so who knows? But that's my dream fight, Kenny. What what's your dream matchup under the Christmas tree? Kayla Harrison and uh, and Amanda Nunes, or what? <laughs> let's see. I mean that that would be pretty cool. Um, let's see. Uh, I still I still want to see Habib Nurmagomedov. And and George St. Pierre, man, that's the one. I know George is older. Don't count the dude out. He trains like an animal still. What's the weight one? Class? And 
you know, they're not, they're, they're both retired, right? So that, that doesn't really count, but the guys that are in the UFC where, where it's a, a stronger possibility that it could happen. Um, John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Right there. That's gotta be the fight. John Jones and Francis Ngannou. All right. Last call for tweets, Cody. Do we have anything else? Is that it? All right. Zoltan NY longtime supporter. This is for both guys. Which does the UFC adopt first? The men's super heavyweight division or a women's atom weight division, which would be at 105 pounds. So it talks about bridging the gap, Kenny, between light heavyweight and heavyweight. Right. I would love to see some middle ground at 225 or 235 pounds, but a lot of your elite heavyweights, the steep A's of the world weigh in, in that range. So I don't think you're going to see that happen. I think Adam weight has legs and I think Adam weight, has more depth certainly than than featherweight or even maybe flyweight among the women. I don't think that's fair about the 125ers necessarily right now. I don't know, Kenny. I think the women sell. I think you can look at our main event history recently and that sort of dovetails with that opinion. I think we're more likely to see a women's atom weight division in the UFC than we are to see the gap bridge from light heavy to heavyweight or a super heavyweight division for Shaquille O'Neal. Your thoughts? All right. All right. Well, you definitely uh, have some good logic in regards to the, the you know, the heavyweights in that you know, there are a lot of people in that in that uh, range. However, I'm going to go against logic, John. Um, I'm, I'm going with I think there should be a cruiserweight division. I think there should be a 206 pound division to 235 or something like that, maybe yeah. 230 uh, and then have another proper heavyweight division. Um I think it makes sense. Um, I think the other one, well, I'll, that was the answer to his question. I, I think there should be another one between 185 and 205. But anyways, I right. digress. That, that, well, you no, know, as far as the atom weight and, and the cruiserweight division, I think the cruiserweight division, for me, from a business perspective, might make more sense. But Yeah, I mean, I am not a historian per se, but I don't love like moving welterweight to 75 and then adding a 65 pound division. I know a lot of the lightweights that listen to this show are like, you're a fucking idiot. Like we need this 165 pound division. (laughs) No, I think boxing struggled with having too many champions, but I don't know that the UFC would, if they went 45, 55, 65, 95, 205, yanking it to 215, 225, 235. But I agree that bridging that gap, um, would be nice. And I think would, uh, would really be intriguing for a lot of the UFC talent that's already on the roster. All right. Anything else, Cody, before we let Kenny go? I mean, Kenny's got a busy day. I gotta All right. We're going to, we're going to rattle off a quick one here for Kenny. All right. All right. What do you got? All right. Question for Kempflow. Would you consider? Yes, this is the one doing a boxing match. <laughs> if the price and opponent was right, how much are we talking this from Gilgamesh 2000? Oh my God. You guys, you guys with these questions. You know, listen, I think that for me, and maybe I'm an idiot, but, uh, you know, the reason I got into the sport was to see what I could do. Um, and I loved the challenge of it. I clearly didn't get into into um, mixed martial arts back in early 2000s to, to be famous and make a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, I, <laughs> that was not really a possibility. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I, I love the challenge of it. I wanted to see what I could do against another, you know, well-known martial artist or a trained martial artist. Um, and I wanted to do that before I got old. I am right. old now. I had my chance to test myself. Um, not to say I'm not going to compete in some other 
thing, but I'm I'm more likely I'm an idiot. I'm more likely to compete in some jujitsu tournament where I make zero dollars than I am in a boxing fight where I can make millions. Right. And Kenflin wants to fight the baddest jujitsu dog out there and be a plus 400 underdog. But I think a lot of people want to know if Triller came to you and Diego Sanchez and offered you both a million bucks to show for, you know, eight threes. Right. Right. And I think for you, it's like your first thought is my back, my body. How am I even getting through training camp? You know? Um, But I think maybe the question is better put, would you turn down a mil, a seven figure guarantee from Triller to box Diego Sanchez over eight rounds? And I'm not saying you have to answer that question. That would be tough. That would be tough. You know, um, huh, be that's good enough. The pause is a good enough answer. That'd be interesting, John. The pause is, is a good enough That's a good answer. question. Yes. All right. So next week it is all hands on deck and it'll probably be a two hour episode. It's Monday, July 5th. It's UFC 264 fight week. So I think it's nine Ooh. predictions, nine predictions. And obviously your boots are going to be on the ground and we're very excited for everything that that fight week uh, is going to hold a lot of different things planned. Um, so that's your tease. Um, if you miss Ray Longo this week, I don't really know what to tell you. We gave him the week off. Hope you enjoyed the Q and a more to come on that front. Also the next Q and a we do will be live. So you will be able to populate your questions in our StreamYard chat room uh, and not have to submit your questions in advance, but thanks for everybody for, uh, for participating. Um, Anna Florian podcast. Dot com if you want merch. Am I, am I forgetting anything else as I lose my voice here down the stretch? FlowTube. Follow Kenny on YouTube. <laughs> Fucking FlowTube. Yes, FlowTube. Can you change the Thank name you. of the channel already? For, instead of the Kenny Florian channel, it is FlowTube <laughs> if you want um, jujitsu instructionals that you just can't get anywhere else. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks to Cody Mero for uh, for graphically getting us aligned here today. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about the show because I guess that helps us at the end of the day. This yes. content will be free forever, so every little bit helps. Um, with that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anderson. Thank you for listening. Uh, until next week, don't text and drive. And uh, I'm going to leave Militic out of it this week. Go later. <laughs>
1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.